0: Has anyone played Chinese Whispers? Well we've been playing it with the Salvation Army store. <laughs> I just will briefly clarify you all got the fact that they donate to the GRCLN yeah, yeah. once a year for the RI. Right, you got that but that was pretty clear. Yeah. Okay. Next Saturday, one day only, we need if we get four volunteers to man the store, that would be great. You don't have to run it; the manager and that is there. So it's just to be help them out, and then they give us the money. If we don't get, if I haven't heard by well about Wednesday, I'll let them know, and we might try for August or later in the year. Okay, yeah. we right with that now? Yeah, good. Good. Right. Whew. I was getting a bit confused with that one myself. I wasn't sure we I was going to turn up. Okay, we're going to have communion. So if I could get those uh, that are handing out communion, that would be great. Thank you. In chapter 5 of Acts, Peter and a couple of his mates are in trouble with the authorities and uh, they've been told that they're not to do this preaching stuff about Jesus in the in the temple forecourts and things like this. And uh, Peter says, look, you know, we've either got to follow you or we follow God. Will we choose to... Uh, Follow what God tells us. And he does a one, two, three sermon, three verse sermon, and he says, You had arrested you had Jesus arrested and killed by crucifixion, but the God of our forefathers has raised him up. He's the one God has he is the one God has exalted and seated at his right hand as Savior and Champion. He is a provider of grace as the redeemer of Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God freely gives to all who believe in him. So there we have it. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God, a great high priest who is able to understand us humans. It's interesting that a lot of people blame the Jews for killing Jesus. Jesus. Yes, it was the Jews' fault. That can I put an argument tonight that no, it wasn't the Jews' fault? Because in that, in the uh, New King James, that word "killed" it says "murdered." But I had a quick look on one of those things you can do on these days on a Bible site on Google, and the word is not really the, even killing. It's not even. It's definitely not. murdered you know, murdered's a, a, a a thing you've plotted out and you've, you've worked out how you're going to do it. It's more the word, the original from the basic that I saw. It's, um, I guess, the means of, they were the means of how the plan was fulfilled. You understand what I'm saying there? That we may blame the Jews, but they, they were just part of the, the plan for, for God's God's plan to be fulfilled, because in John 17, John 10, sorry, 17 and 18, his life was not taken from him, but he laid it down himself. Jesus said, "For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again." This charge I have received from the Father. So, even though the Jews and the Romans did the actual deed of crucifying Christ, there is no way they could have if he didn't want them to. In a little bit, backtrack a little bit in the garden when he was arrested, I think it was Peter again, took out his sword and whipped off the ear of one of the. Servants or someone that was there, he said, "I no, put that away." And he said, "Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it may it, it must happen this way?" He laid down his life. He gave his life. In one Corinthians. And 11, many of us will know these scriptures from verse 23. Paul is writing and he says, For I have received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. I don't know about you. I mean, you are pretty good Christians and you've probably never been at this point. But since 1983, there's probably been a couple, one or two times where I've thought, what's the point? I think I'll just give this away. It's just, you know, I see Christians fighting and thinking, what, this is ridiculous. I'd, I'd be better off not being a Christian. And I could go so far until in remembrance of him, When you remember that God, the creator of this universe, the creator of our earth, the creator of you and me, there's nothing more awesome than the being called God. And yet, He humbled Himself, He came to be a man. As I said earlier, he's now sitting at the right hand of God. He's the high priest. He can understand everything about us because he came, humbled himself, and he went to the cross. He chose to go to the cross for you and me. When I remember that, I can't go any further. And I turn around and go back again and start walking again. How can we not? When we do this in remembrance of Him, not remember exactly what He has done for us. We're not remembering that He healed people, although that's a good thing. We're not remembering the things He taught in the New Testament, although that's a good thing. We're not remembering, as many do, that He was a great teacher or a great prophet or whatever, although He was. We're remembering the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So let us stand together this evening. And as we eat and drink, let us do what Jesus asked us to do, to remember what he has done why are we here tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing sacrifice of your son Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we're nothing without you. But with you we're everything. Father, we thank you for your gracious mercy and love towards each and every one of us. We thank you, Jesus, that you did lay down your life for each and every one of us. Because we know that you could see beyond the cross to the joy which was after it. We give you all praise and honour in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us eat and drink together in remembrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear me?
1: Can you hear me? Can... Great. Ah, uh, thank you. Well, well, you may take your seats tonight. Hey, thanks, team. Appreciate you, guys. <laughs> Wonderful. Can I uh, uh, just turn your attention to a passage tonight? Uh, I just want to share on it for a short time. Mark chapter five. Um, uh, it's a familiar passage to some of us, but let me just read it to you tonight. It's talking about Jesus. And his interaction with a couple people, particularly one person, uh, and how it unfolded that story. And it just, uh, uh, you know, I'm just aware, you know, when you read the New Testament part of the Bible, Jesus is always wanting to be involved in people's lives. I, I don't know if you're here tonight, but you know, I, I, you know we get so, uh, we live because of, of, one of the most important things is relationship, that we have interaction with other people. Um, And we connect. And Jesus Christ, as he did in the day when he walked on the earth, wanted to communicate, relate, and and relate to people. It's no different today. Uh, God intimately wants to be involved in our day, in our lives. He intimately wants to be involved in your life. He's not some distant God that sits in heaven. But thankfully, even though Jesus left this earth after 33 years or thereabouts, he sent the Holy Spirit. His presence can go with us and just interact, connect with us. And so that's the kind of God we serve. Um, it's not a God that sits in an ivory tower and barks orders down and hits us on the head when we do wrong. No, He, he intimately wants to be involved in our life. And I don't know if you know that kind of um, you know, presence of God in your life, but I pray that you will, because it's an incredible life to live. Uh, interaction, knowing Him, talking, walking with Him, and knowing His will for your life, it's brilliant. So um, so we see here Jesus had this conversation, or he had this situation unfold for him in Mark chapter 5, and I want to take it up in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, that is the Lake of Galilee, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogues, or the temple, came Jairus by name, and when he saw him, that is Jesus, he fell at his feet, you know... T- For a man who's a ruler and of high authority, to come and fall at someone's feet humbly, that's a big thing. Let's just keep that in context. And he begged him earnestly. He said, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. First of all, for any father or even mothers here today, for a little girl to be at the point of death, that's an incredibly heart-wrenching moment as a parent, isn't it? And then... Um, we see he, he has this incredible element of faith. He says, you've just got to come and lay your hands on her and she'll be whole. She'll be well. That's great faith. That's a good faith, isn't it? Um, but as Jesus went with him, uh, Jairus, a great multitude followed him and, and it says thronged him or just crowded around him. And they're probably jostling along. You can appreciate up the narrow streets of Jerusalem or wherever they were. And there was a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. So the story changes to another character in the story. And had suffered many things from many physicians or doctors. And she had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said this, If only, if only I may touch his clothes, I'll be made well. If only. You've ever had those moments in life where you just, if only I could just do this one thing. I know something will happen. Well, that's what she was like. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude who are thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So she shared a story with him and probably with everybody who was there willing to listen around that crowd that day. And verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Great. Interesting story. Jesus is on his way uh, with a guy called Jairus. He's on his way to his house because he, the, his, this man's little girl is about to die; she's on a deathbed, and so on his way to do that, he's interrupted by a woman that with a hemorrhage issue. Okay, um, and it's interesting because Jesus's response to that was he was not he was not annoyed by the interruption at all. He wasn't annoyed. Um, and the only reason he stopped and swung around was because he just wanted to know, who, who, who was that? Because <laughs> he heard the, the healing virtue had left his body. So Jesus was willing to be interrupted for the sake of a life that would be changed. And I was just contemplating that simple thought, but I believe Jesus loves people to interrupt him in prayer. I believe Jesus could constantly be looking for you to say, hey, I'm here, uh, interrupt me anytime, you're welcome to do that. Um, And the truth is, he's always willing to listen, but are we willing to communicate and have a relationship with him? And I I think that's an important question. Are we willing to just kind of interrupt him? And I think, you know, in, in a sense, God will continue through his day. It's not that he's not interested in you. But I think you know that God's eyes, it says in Old Testament, it says His eyes um, go to and fro across the earth looking for people. And I think He's looking for people who are just willing to put their head up and say, hey God, God I just want you to know I'm here. And I, and can I just talk to you about something? Can I just communicate? Can I just ask of you something? Can I just give you some element of praise? Can I just give you an element of worship tonight? Can I do something? And God says, I'm, I'm listening. I'm ready. But are we willing to to do that? I think He's more than willing to... Be interrupted and listen. So, um, we see in verse twenty six. Informs us that this woman had uh, had tried many physicians. Okay, so many doctors, but none could help her. Um, Her hemorrhage was apparently incurable. Okay, apparently, and was slowly not only incurable but it was slowly destroying her physical body. She's growing worse. Not only that. Uh, But you can imagine the pain and the emotional pressure that zapped her strength day by day in this whole 12 years. It says in another gospel account, um, not Mark's, but another, that it would be 12 years she'd been like this. Or maybe it says in this account. And when you considered all the disappointments with the doctors and the poverty it brought her to, and you'd wonder how she endured for as long as she did... Um, I don't know. Amazing, amazing how she got to that point. But there was one added burden. And according to uh, Jewish law, she was an unclean woman. She was bleeding. And so she was never allowed to go into the temple and never allowed to go to church because she was never allowed through the front doors because she was seen as ceremonially unclean. That's a bit of a cruel law, but that's what they had. And so she wasn't able to go and worship God. As a Jew, which wasn't a good thing, because Jews, all Jews wanted to do is do that, and and secondly, she was isolated from community because she was seen as unclean, and if she was seen in the unclean, it, you know, it was a bit like when you were at school as a little kid, and you know, if someone's got some sickness, or don't touch them, you'll catch their sickness, you know, or you get boys germs or girls germs. It was a bit like that with this lady. Don't touch her; she's unclean, and and it was a terrible and and, and um, a terrible way to live life when you when people would isolate you and and um, you know, uh, it just leave you out of the picture because of what was happening. And so, her, you know, she lived, lived a pretty restricted life. An, an incredible burden, both physically and emotionally. Um, and the despair, maybe some discouragement. But it's interesting. Uh, she had some element of faith. And amongst all of that, she had an element of faith. She had some element of faith. And it, and it was to the element that she, um, that she was willing to approach Jesus It was unconventional because she wanted to do it secretively. You know, she didn't want to go up to Jesus and say, Jesus, heal me. No, she didn't want people to know. She wanted to kind of just be unknown. She wanted to go fly under the radar. And yet Jesus, as she crept up to Jesus through the crowd, reached out through maybe someone's legs and touched his garment, she knew that some healing virtue had entered her body from Jesus and that she'd been healed. And Jesus honoured her faith as weak as it was, and healed the body. And Jesus actually t- turned around and he said, your faith has made you well. And I was just contemplating that. Here's this lady who secretly wants to just get something from Jesus, didn't want to talk to him, wanted, didn't know anybody to know about her. And yet Jesus honored her. And, and, and he says, you've got some element of faith there It's made you well. And I thought, sometimes you don't need much faith for God to do something great. Do you? You know, and it's not. I've come to this conclusion about life. It's not the strength of our faith that saved us, or saves us, but faith in a strong God that saves us, isn't it? Because sometimes we we're, we're kind of at the end of that moment of saying, "God, where is the future going? Or where is the hope? Where some circumstances?" And I know I preached uh, uh, something this morning in in uh, about the realities of of what we face in life. But you know, again, it's tonight. Sometimes we're at the end of that at that end of the rope, so to speak, and say, "God, where is the future hold?" I want to say, "You just need a mustard seed of faith. You just need a, And it just says, "And it's not the strength of our faith sometimes, but it's faith in a strong Savior. It's a faith in a strong God that gets us there." And I can't reinforce that enough, that God would welcome you, God would beckon you, God would call you, and He'd be willing for you to interrupt His life and say, "Hey, come on, just show me the the element." that you could trust me with this one. And I will certainly see what I could do, amazingly. I think the one thing that shows us faith, the faith that she did have, is that she made this one statement. And I want to just use this one statement tonight to dive off into into a great thought. But she used this one statement. And the one, it was these words, if only, if only I may touch his clothes, uh, I shall be made well. Only is a word that, Says much more than we sometimes realize. Um, Behind that word was the heart passion of this lady uh, to see a shift in her body's health. If only I've only I've only got you know I I I I haven't got much, Uh, uh, you know I'm I'm held back by social stigma. I've got some pretty major dramas here. My body is wearing away. I'm dying. It seems to getting worse every month, and things are not happening well. But you know what? I've got just thought. Because I heard in a couple chapters earlier, Mark chapter 3, not that she had the New Testament, but we have the legacy of it, where there was a whole crowd coming and touching Jesus and being healed. And she thought, if you look at Mark chapter 3, verse 8, and she thought, well, you know, I'm going to give it a go. Give it a go. Have a crack, mate. See what you can do. I'll just go and touch his gum. If only got that, just this element of faith that if it could happen for others, it maybe it could happen for me. It's not much. It's not much. But desperate faith is faith that's willing to just you know to keep praying, faith that is heartfelt, faith that is resilient, faith that's continue to believe in an incredibly strong God that we serve. And um, this woman had that one idea: if I could only touch his garment, I don't want a big scene. I just one touch. Uh, I've heard that many past you know many have done this, so I'm going to give it a go. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't I don't want to be seen. I just want to reach out. If only I could do that, you know. And if it, it, it wasn't only if he would turn around and touch me, it wasn't that. And it wasn't if only he would acknowledge me, I'd be healed. No, it was if only I could touch his clothes, I'd be healed. It was a simple thought, but within it was these words: "This is all I can do. This is all I can do." There, um, it's an interesting. But I was just contemplating. There's an Old Testament story um, that's very interesting, and it's very similar to this woman's story. And the Old Testament story goes like this: It was a, it was a guy called Gideon. Some of us remember Gideon. He was a guy who, was the least of the least, or so the Bible says, and didn't have much going for him. But um, there was a whole, there was a a, a a group of raiders called the Midianites who'd come in and take their take of their harvest and steal their goods, and and finally. Um, God says enough's enough and he said to Gideon one day, you're going to rise up and you're going to, you're going to um, champion the cause and you're going to drive the Midianites out from your land and, and you're going to stop them from raiding you and destroying your crops and taking things from you and Gideon said you got the wrong man but in the end Gideon agreed and uh, Gideon kind of sent out a message and 32,000 men turned up and said, we'll go with you Gideon, we'll fight the Midianites and God said, I'm just not quite sure about these 32,000 people uh, guys, how about we sort out the, the, the sheep from the goats and see who's really with you, get in. So anybody who's so fearful, tell them to go home. So 22,000 walked away. Uh, they, got, they packed their tents up and walked out, and there's 10,000 left. And then God said, oh, look, I'm not convinced that all these guys are, are really you know, in this for the right reasons. Take it down to the river, and those who, those who lap like a dog get down in the river and drink like a dog you know, with their mouth in the water tell them to go home, but those who draw the water to their mouths uh, while still kind of kneeling there, um, they're the ones you're going to keep getting. Because I suppose in some ways what God was saying is, I, I want people who are committed and going to be attentive, going to be watchful and not just kind of selfish and just you know um, drink for their own means without being considerate of what's happening around them. And so um, out of the 10,000, 9,700 did the wrong thing. And God said, well, they can go home. So, you know, that's not good odds, 300 left, 300 left <laughs> out of 32,000 men. And so, but it's interesting because the story goes on in Judges chapter 7, 6 and 7. This is what it says in verse 6. Only 300 men of the men drank from the hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with, and will, uh, with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you Victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Here's the point. Um, Gideon only had 300. <laughs> only. he just, That's all he had. 300 against literally thousands. But if you continue to read the story in, uh, in Judges chapter 7, and you'll discover that 300 defeated thousands. And I, and I think sometimes that God uh, wants us to realize that when we have a victory... Um, it really is God's doing and not ours. Because it's so easy sometimes for me to, well, everything's going well. Oh, look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. And I think we've got to just be careful because ego is a dirty word. <laughs> There's a song about that, isn't there? Um Skyhooks, 1976. Anyway. Yeah, all those over 50 understand what I'm talking about. But, you know, it is, ego can be a destructive thing, especially when we want to, almost like we steal the glory from God. God, God, God is in the business of taking our little bit, our only, and doing amazing things. And, and all we need is just to add that simple encouragement. I've only got this much. Gideon only had 300 men. <laughs> uh, this woman only had a little desire just to go and touch the garment. And yet with that only, God done amazing things. Maybe you're here tonight and you've just got not much. <laughs> just only, just, I've only got this much patience. I've only got this much finance. I've only got this much thought. Sometimes I think, you know, when we get to the bottom of the barrel, there's only one way, and that's to look up. And I tell you what, God sometimes has got is in a situation, not that He puts us there, but we sometimes then learn to depend on Him and not on ourselves. Because I think the greatest, greatest. Um, uh, a cause of lack of faith in our nation of Australia today is that we 're so dependent on our own lives and our own world and never dependent on him. Never run into him because we 've got everything we 're self-sufficient aren 't we? Only, if only we take what we have it 's only. You know I was very inspired by a story of, of a guy called Michael Milton. Michael Milton in 2006 set the ski uh, uh, the Australian. Uh, fa- what, let's put it the right way, fastest downhill skier in Australia in 2006. Set the record, 214 kilometers per hour. I've never been that speed in a car, let alone on a pair of skis. And I hope none of you have either. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, Michael Milton, that's, that's pretty fast, isn't it, on a set of skis? But the truth is, it goes even a little bit further for this guy, because the remarkable thing was... At the age of nine, he got cancer in one of his legs. The little boy, and they amputated his leg. So now he's skiing with one leg, and he sets a ski record with one leg. I only had one leg. I got two, and wouldn't even try that. You know. So Michael only had one leg. Gideon only had three hundred men. God, it's it's amazing what God can do with your only. It's amazing. Put Put it into the hands of God. They tell me that it takes a match to start a fire and a pebble to start an avalanche. But that's the way God seems to operate sometimes. the very little we have. And you know what? God isn't looking for amazing people. He's looking for those who will surrender their life to an amazing God. That's what he's looking for. And I wonder if that's where you, what you need to do even tonight. Because sometimes we say, well, you know, let's wait you know, when things get better. Don't wait for a better day. Today is the best opportunity you have. You'll wake up tomorrow morning, it's the best day. You say, no, I'm, when things get better, then I'll really get kind of turned on for God and, and, and really put in first. No, no, no. Tomorrow will never come, folks. It's always today. He just says today's the opportunity, isn't it? Um, you know, sometimes I can use my only as an excuse Sometimes. I can use it as an excuse. And the woman could have used any number of excuses to convince herself to stay away from Jesus that particular day. She could have said, well, the crowd's too big. She could have said, I'm not important enough uh, for Jesus to help. I'm just one lady with no future, no hope. She could have said, "I'm going, uh, he's going with Jairus. Why should I interrupt him? That Jairus has got a little girl who's about to die. Why should I bother him? She could have said, uh, you know, nothing else. She could have said... Um, you know, I've already been to so many doctors and now I'm trying Jesus. Will Jesus accept me for that? I'm just glad God does. So many times we try our own ways and then we think, oh, oh, God, why would God help me? Because I've just neglected Him for so long. I tell you what, He's in the business of, of loving and touching and caring no matter how many tries, times you've ignored Him. Even though this lady for 12 years, uh, maybe Jesus wasn't in the, around when, those 12 years, but now He is. Um, she could have put it off because, as I said, the social stigma of what people thought of her. She could have been concerned what people would say, but she didn't allow any of those excuses to stop her. And I love, I love the fact that that she comes with, uh, puts all, all things aside. And she was fear and trembling, and she just reached out, and she got the result that she was looking for. Isn't it amazing? And maybe you're here tonight, and you say, I've only have so much ability. I only have so much time. I only have got so much of this or so much of that. Don't use only as an excuse. But see, your only is, is an incredible opportunity uh, to see God do something great. Don't, don't let only be a refuge to hide our responsibility in life. And don't let only be the reason we give no effort. Um, I wanted to share a story with you that I found very inspiring and um, you know, it just speaks about this really pr- this simple principle. There's a guy called Captain um, Eddie uh, Rickenbacker. must get his name right. It's a name that you, you wouldn't want to... Uh, my goodness, it's a long one anyway. It, it, he was an American pilot who um, flew the Flying Fortress, those type of aircraft in the Second World War. And in 1942, he was flying across the South Pacific to deliver a message to General MacArthur, you know, who was in Papua New Guinea at the time. He was the General MacArthur, the guy who was in the Philippines and brought, um, you know, flushed the Japanese out of the Philippines. And, um, and so he was to deliver this message along with all his crew. And on the way across the South Pacific, they lost their radar and they lost their bearings and they couldn't find their way. And they desperately tried to get a signal again to see where they were in there. But unfortunately, they ran out of fuel and had to ditch this massive big plane in the ocean out there in the South Pacific. And they jumped out of the plane, they jumped into a little raft, all these men. Uh, you know, uh, So they were thankful that they were alive and they landed okay. Uh, but desperately, um, they discovered that, they're, um, uh, that after eight days, they used up all the food, used up all the, um, what they had. And now they had to face the weather, uh, the, the sun, was scorching, the scorching heat, the thirst and the hunger. And for eight days... Uh, After those eight days, they had nothing left. So at mid-afternoon, in the diary of one of the officers, um, William Cherry, he wrote in his diary, he said, that afternoon, late into the day, we read from the Bible, they were believers, some of the men were believers. Um, You know, if you're a believer, it was a great, probably you had a captive audience, didn't you? With the rest of the um, men in that raft. But late in the afternoon, they read the Bible, they finished with the prayer for deliverance. William Cherry prayed and said, God, we have got no hope. Got no future unless you come through. Pray for a prayer of deliverance. And they sang a hymn. And then they continued to talk. And, and as the sun went down, a lot of them drifted off into sleep. Um, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, uh, as the sun did was still hot, he did put his hat on and he f- pulled it over his eyes and he fell asleep. Within, several minutes later, he felt a seagull, a lonely seagull out in the m- middle of the Pacific who had nowhere to land, come and landed, guess where? On his head. Head. So there it sat on his head. He slowly just lifted his brim of his little cap. And as he lifted the brim, he looked at all the other officers and they're all staring at him. (laughs) Because there was a seagull on his head. If only he could catch it. And you know what? He did. He caught the seagull. They distributed the fresh meat to each person and they ate it raw. They took the intestines, because they had a hook and sinker, they threw it overboard and uh, with a bit of the intestine of the seagull and they caught a fish every day they caught a fish for the next two and a half weeks and they were finally all rescued and saved every day and as they'd catch a fish they'd eat the raw meat together sushi that's what you do it would have tasted okay folks when you haven't eaten for a while and they'd take the intestine, and they'd catch the next fish the next day, and the next day. And every day they caught one fish, they shared it, and they survived, amazingly. The story goes on. Eddie Rickenbacker, Rick uh, the captain of that plane, he went and worked uh, the east, um, in the east coast of American Florida for the rest of his life. And then he retired. And he died in 1973 at a very old age. But for many years before he passed away, um, all the locals knew about Eddie and what he used to do. He used to take a bucket of prawns and shuffle his way along the pier right to the end. And there at the end of the pier, he'd take a prawn out and throw it to the seagulls and said, thank you. Thank you. Because you gave your life. It was a seagull like you that gave your life that I might live. And And he'd say... And these are the words, and everybody knew Eddie Rickenbacker's motto in life. It was only a seagull. It was only a seagull. And I, I, I just find what an incredible thing. And he'd feed the seagulls, and he'd say, you know, it was only a seagull. But it's amazing what we take the onlys of life, present them to God, and what He can do in our lives. It's incredible, isn't it? And um, I want to encourage us, because Jesus got the woman to publicly share her story. She was in fear and trembling, but he says, you know, what happened? And she shares her story. Everybody listen. Jairus would have been there right beside Jesus, because remember, they were on their way to his house to heal the little girl. And unfortunately, a servant came back and said, Jairus, don't worry the master anymore. Your little girl has died. And Jesus says, all the more that I really paraphrase all the more that that's why I need to go but in the time that they had spent with this woman this little girl had died married maybe Jarius should have got upset at that and should have been you know disappointed and said why did you bother stopping you should have been there and my little girl wouldn't have died you can imagine but none of that happened because Jesus is you know he said this as Jesus looked at Jarius, and we didn't have it up there but verse 36 says he looks at Jarius, he says as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken about the little girl dying In Mark chapter 5, 36, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Only believe. And with that Jesus went and the little girl raised her from the dead. What a wonderful day. For that woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and for the father who had a 12-year-old little girl who was raised from the dead. And all they had was just only what they had, not much. You see, maybe tonight... um, Today, we might be saying, Well, I, I, I've only got so much patience left in my life. I am at the end of my tether with situations. I want to tell you, just present that only to God. Oh, you know, maybe tonight you say, I only got so much hope left. I've only got so much finance left. I've only got so much little faith. I've only got so much opportunity. I've only got so much help. I've only got so much belief. I want to tell you, as the musicians come right now, that'd be great, guys. This is, if you, if you walk away from nothing else tonight, only is all you need. Only is all you need. Because God takes our onlys and he says, I could do incredible things. Because only, when we come to God with, God, I've only got this. It's often a humble heart that we come within presenting ourselves. I've only got this. But God would say, you know what? I could do something with it only when it's presented to me with humility and humbleness. Can we stand to nine? we're just going to worship just one more song before we close the service tonight and um teams is going to lead us and then i just want to pray for you tonight but let's sing this beautiful song again surrounding your life maybe there's a a situation and i know we we prayed this morning for many people and as people presented themselves but i want to just tonight again, as we stand there in this time, maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's a situation you want to see change. Maybe there's a broken relationship. Maybe, maybe it's a difficulty. Maybe it's a job that you're sick of. It's not the circumstance; it's what's got to happen in your heart that needs to change. As I shared this morning, and tonight, why don't we just come uh, for a moment and just worship Him wholly and honestly? Put aside our we go. Put us and just humbly bow our hearts and say, "Father, tonight I present what I've got to you. It's not much, but I believe that I can trust you because you're a great God." So thanks, team. Do I, do I just um, do something fresh in our hearts. But if you're here tonight and you just say, "Father, I just I just present only what I've got. I present this situation, this circumstance, my life tonight to you." And, and can I just pray for you? And it's not my prayer that's any more powerful than yours, but just I would pray God's hand upon you at this time and God's strength as you just come and surrender. And maybe you could tonight just indicate, just lift your hand to God. Come on, let's step out of that, which we're up, oh, you know, and just say, God, yeah, pray for me. Pray for my situation. Pray for my circumstances. Pray with me. So I just, tonight, Father, you see the hands that are raised see the circumstances that are, that are represented here tonight. Many different situations, many different issues, many things that we face and things we want to see turned around, we want to see changed. And Father I pray, Holy Spirit, you do what I certainly can't and that is minister to the hearts and lives of people. Father, they would take what they have tonight as they give it. Maybe it's a little bit of faith, maybe just a bit more patience, it's only got a bit of patience left. Maybe just whatever it may be, God, and you take that and with that that mustard seed of faith, we release it to you. And we ask, Father, that you would have your way in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, go ahead. Go for it. We interrupt you tonight and say, listen, Father, we need your help. We throw ourselves at your mercy like Jairus did to Jesus and say, Father, would you intervene? And Father, we humble ourselves. We put aside our ego and we say, Father, we need you in our lives. And so we commit Every person to you tonight, and you know the circumstance behind every hand tonight. In Jesus' name, and we thank you, Father. Have Your way. And everybody agreed, said, "Amen." Come on, yeah. Who did forsaken. forsaken? I am who you say I